Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. I want to thank you for making your way here, checking out this episode. If you're uh, it's your first time or maybe you're, uh, you're a returning customer but not a subscriber, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere that you like to get your podcasts from, uh, you can hit that subscribe. We'll bring you brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and what's happening in the music world. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today I'm going to be talking with Ed Roland of Collective Soul. We get into a lot of things. First off, they're busy. He's busy. Uh, it, it might be quarantine for everybody, but he is not missing the opportunity to make new music. He'll tell us about last year, the follow-up to last year's album, Blood, Vibrating. It was supposed to be a double album. It's still in the cards to release the other half of that, as well as a Record Store Day EP. He says he's done a solo album. He has a brand new band called The Living Room that's uh, like a new wave cars type of thing. And Collective Soul have went ahead and recorded another LP. If you're counting along, that's five new albums from Ed Roland. That's not even the bulk of this conversation. What we're really talking about here is the 25th anniversary of the Collective Soul album. The self-titled Blue Record that came out in 1995 had the hits December, Gel, The World I Know, Smashing Young Man. It's got a deluxe vinyl edition uh, that's out this month, as well as a, a vinyl edition of the uh, debut record, Hints, Allegations, and Things Left Unsaid. So we'll be talking about both of those 
those records and what was uh, happening in their lives around that time. You know, it's, it was an interesting time. They were on tour with Van Halen, and while they had number one songs on the radio, uh, plenty of video play on MTV, uh, because of some legal woes, Ed says they were only making $150 a week. I'll say $150 a week. He's going to tell us about that, how Jell ended up on the Jerky Boys soundtrack, blast from the past there, uh, before the album came out. We'll also be talking about the 20th anniversary of Blender. That was their final album with Atlantic, kind of ended that chapter of the Collective Soul book. It's what he calls a searching record. They covered Morphine on it, did a duet with Elton John, but it was a bit of a slept-on record by fans and critics alike. Could there be a potential to uh, to remix or redo some of that record in the future? Well, you'll have to hear Ed talk about it. Sounds like it's a possibility. So let's get into it. It's Kyle Meredith with Collective Soul. Hey! It's good to see you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, man. We just finished uh, Collective Soul Boys came in, so we were here for nine days and recorded another record just because... We miss each other first, and we enjoy making music. Yeah, what else are you going to do? You know, last time you and I talked uh, was during the last record with Blood, and, and at that point you had even said it was possibly you'd wanted it to be a double album, that there were songs right. left over. Are you saying that these are songs beyond those songs? Yes. So Vibrating, we split Blood up into two records. And um, so Vibrating was supposed to come out in June. Of course, with everything going on, that's been postponed. So, and we also had an EP we did for Record Store Day, which was in April, but that got postponed. So, we have those two in the can. I have a solo record that I did, and then during this virus, I started another band called The Living Room, which is kind of a new wave. Cars, I love that era, and we talked as a band, and we decided we just missed each other. We really did. We didn't, but I had songs. So when they got here, I was like, all right. I love you too, but let's get to work. So we just recorded another record. <laughs> wow. No shortage of material. So do you even know how you're going to release it at this point? Any of this? No. Stuff? I mean, like, yeah, like I said, Record Store Day, they moved to the end of August this month. So hopefully that comes. If that comes, that's the start of things. Good sign to me. I love, you know, I'm a big vinyl guy. So that's a good start to say we're back on track. And I guess vibrating which was the second half of blood i think will come out you know once we start touring you know because we right. thought we'd be touring this summer and that's why they held it back so we'll see so everything know? everything's probably a 2021 release at the uh, yeah the release i mean the you know they're go. still they're planning tours for 2021 but nobody really knows i mean right there's still stuff on books for september it just, it, nobody knows right Right. Well, you mentioned vinyl, and I'm going to take your your cue right there because uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about today is a new vinyl edition of the uh, the 1995 self-titled Collective Soul record. And this is vinyl for the first time, right? A deluxe edition. Correct. And Hints is also getting a vinyl edition as well. They're both uh, both getting out there. Uh, and so it's the 25th anniversary. Now, you've many times, uh, in fact, from the beginning, I think until now, you, you call this the first official the real debut record right. from Collective Soul, it, right? It, is, it, it really is the debut record of Collective Soul. And, you know, I'll, and I've said it many times, the first hints was just a collection of demos I did over a five-year period at a basement studio. I mean, Shine doesn't even have real drums. It's a drum machine, you know? So this is, this is not Ed sitting in a basement by himself. This is, you know, five guys making music together and figuring yeah. out what their sound is, figuring out what Collective Soul sound, wants to sound like and, work work at it from there it's kind of interesting that you say it like that i mean you know figuring out what the sound is because the album arrived 
it, it sounded like, you know, fully formed, fully conceptualized in there. I mean, the templates that were set on that record, you know, you can still hear throughout your all's career that, that kind of stuck through there. I mean, finding your sound, it sounds like you didn't have too much of a problem doing that. What were those moments and sessions like? Well, it was hard work because once again, it came out eight months after Hence did, but we were on the road every day. And so I used sound checks as pre-production. I call it, I'd go in there and go, Hey guys, I got this and, you know, kind of work with them. Cause you know, I produced it. So I was trying to figure it out and we all kind of figured with shine being the hit, people wanted to hear rock. So we kind of was like, okay, let's go with the rock vibe. It wasn't, we all loved it anyway. I mean, uh, that, that genre of music. So it was an easy, I don't want to say transition, just an easy formation to go, okay, we're going to do rock and we're going to throw some riffs in there. And I love writing riffs. I'm a big cars fan. So I always called Greg Hawks, uh, the keyboardist of the cars, one of my favorite riff makers of all time. So I was trying to do that. And, and we do, we played at shows that night. You know, I wouldn't even have the lyrics done. I would just, you know, do what we used to call back in the day, vowel movement. And it just, it, it, it formed naturally, but it formed quickly and it formed out of necessity because we thought we were going to get dropped. So my whole point was we had every day off, we were in the studio. So, you know, the five to seven shows we did a week, whatever that next day off during those sound checks, we were working on what songs, whether it was gel December and we'd go in and record river flows, which, you know, I, I, we were in Lake Tahoe of all places. Who, who, who thinks they have a studio in Lake Tahoe, but I, you know, back in the day, you got the old phone book out. You didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't ask Siri like, Hey, what's a studio recording studio. So uh, we, we just went at it hard and I give the guys a lot of credit. They worked really hard and, you know, believed in me and songs and where we were going. In fact, the last time you and I talked, you talked about um, even using one of the biggest stages you had ever been on at that point, the Woodstock stage to write a song basically in front of everyone. Jail. It was jail. Yeah. That's the first night lyrics started spewing out. And so they recorded it. So I asked, could I hear it back? And, it, and I had about half of, I'd say I got about half of whatever made sense. About half of the song came out that night because I would just splatter stuff out. And I was like, okay, now I got it. Now I got it. I mean, I might've said this the last time too, but what balls you have to use a stage like that to go, you know what, I'm going to try something here, guys. This, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I remember having this conversation we've had with other people. Like, literally, I think I knew two, three lyrics to that whole set because we were playing new music. Like, we were trying to figure it out. We wanted to go on the studio because we thought we were going to go record before they put hands out. We didn't even think that was going to be released. Yeah. We thought they'd do Shine and they'd let us go in the studio for a couple of months and make a record, and that didn't happen. So we were really anxious, and there was a big turnover going on at Atlantic Records and we heard that you know if one person got the job we were going to get dropped so I was like well not before we make a record so that was the urgency also making the record I was like if you're going to drop us at least I'm getting an album out of this for the band yeah that's interesting and once it did come out I mean you guys pretty much went full on this is us I mean I, I don't know the exact timeline cutoff or, or how definitive this was but as far as touring goes, you almost stopped playing hints altogether. It seemed like, like there was shine. Yeah. And otherwise was shine, it was like that, full on. Yeah. It was just, it's just shine. And we, I mean, over the years we might've thrown in an acoustic song, but it just didn't fit. I mean, I, I'm very proud of hints because it, to me, it showcases the songwriter I, I, I wanted to be, but it doesn't showcase a band. It doesn't showcase a unity. It showcases Ed Roland as a songwriter. Yeah. You take that however you want to, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. But it didn't showcase a band. And so that that was our urgency. It was to go, okay. 
and we all liked each other. Everybody got along. It was like, okay, let's do this. One song that seemed to make its way over, though, uh, was a B-side to December, and that was an acoustic version of Sister Don't Cry. Was there any reason why that song still kind of spoke to you in that, in that moment? Do you remember? Well, I think just because I, I, if we would have got to re-record, I, I would have kept that song and uh, Love Lifted Me and Shine. Maybe Good Night, Good Night good guy there would have been only four but uh you know at the time i was writing so much i think those were in the four to start the debut record sister Cry, don't cry was just a personal song for me it was someone overcoming an addiction and it was me learning because once again you got to remember you got to back up five years when i wrote the song though it came out in 93 it was 88 when i was writing these things and just you know being a young 20 year old and learning about addiction and things like that and learning to write songs and learning to be comfortable in my own skin to be personal about my songs without anybody, without naming names. So that song, that song's always meant a lot to me. And I know the guys like it. Shane, actually, the drummer, he played on that in the demo. It, it, it was, it, to me, it's, it's, it's sentimental just because it was a learning curve for me being a songwriter. Yeah. That, that, uh, that song uh, on a much more tamer, uh, almost, um, uh, well, anyway, much more tamer version because uh, Hints was, you know, that was a coming of age record for me at, at the time. And I had a little sister and she cried a lot and I would literally play that song when she cried. <laughs> and so, you know, my sister's in her 30s now, you know, I'm nearly 40 and that song still means a lot to us in that way. It's like, oh, that's, well, that's a song good. I used to play for you, you know? That's awesome. That's yeah. sweet to hear. You know, we were talking about touring a little bit and I did want to ask about one of those tours because... Van Halen, I think you ended up on the road with Van Halen. I hope you don't mind the broad question here, but what was that like? I mean, this is 90s Van Halen at that point, so it's well, exactly uh, the Diamond Dave moments. Yeah, Van Halen, Van Hagar, whatever you want to call it. It was, they helped us out so much. I can look back, if, if they were mentors to us. They taught us how literally to behave. If we wanted to misbehave, here's the consequences that are going to happen if you misbehave. Here's what you can do, and you can stretch it a little bit here. And they were so supportive, and just you know we were going through a lot with the the manager at the time too because so we had to go through a lawsuit and they were just all the way around it was just uh, a blessing to be around them and still to see those guys see it once twice a year sammy i you know i check he, he checks on me i check on him michael like they were just so kind it was like parents to little kids all right you're getting out of kindergarten now we got to go to first grade now this is how you're going to behave <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get the lessons from somebody, that's right. It was overwhelming. Like I said, we'd have, we'd have hidden in the bus the whole time had they not, because we're just so overwhelmed. I mean, once, you know, everything happened so quick for us, so we're already, like, confused. But to sit there and go, it's, it's Eddie Van Halen. I remember the story I told you, our first show with him, Eddie's sitting there warming up, and he goes, man, I'm really nervous on this tour. I said, why? He goes, you know, you know, I'm, I'm getting my act together, and, you know, first time I play, like, you know, I don't want to say sober. He's just like, I'm getting my act together. I'm just really nervous. And I said, well, we have to open for you. You don't think I'm not nervous? <laughs> <laughs> so we hit it off immediately. We were like best yeah. pals right there. Uh, you mentioned that lawsuit there. I know that was kind of part of the story. Like here you are eight months before major success right out of the gates with Shine. You're, you're back in the studio. What was going on with the label? Because this would sort of be a story you and I mean, with the Collective Soul and the, and the and Atlantic Records that would weave in and out of the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, it was just a manager, just a wrong contract, misunderstandings. I can't really talk about it all, but it was just it was it just happened at the wrong time. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden you're on MTV, number one, and your album selling 
God knows, you know, you're in Billboard Top 200 for two years, and you're, you know, I can tell you what we're making a week was 150 bucks a week, you know, nobody. So, you know, it's it's business, and I learned the hard way. We all learned the hard way. It hadn't happened since. <laughs> <laughs> Lessons learned, right? Lessons learned. Right. That's right. Uh, and I, I want to bring up Jell one more time, too, because that ended up being – Sort of the first single, if you look at it, because it actually preceded the album. It made its way on the Jerky Boys soundtrack, which I think a lot of people have probably not thought about the Jerky Boys in a little while. But uh, called a bridge track, they called it back in the days. Bridge right. track was uh, I, I don't know. Was there any story to go along with that? I mean, here's for a lot of people. This is this this is the next thing that they hear really after Shine. No, we we recorded it. We recorded that in Memphis. I remember recording it. Cause it was the first one we had a day off and I sent it Atlantic said, we have something we want to, the whole bridge track thing. I was like, okay, we'll do whatever you want. And I sent it to him and I was like, it's not the best song I got, but I'm going to give you this. If you call it a bridge track, I don't want to give you what I consider the best. And damn, if it doesn't go to number one and, and the record label was like, well, that's the worst. What do we got coming? I, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, politics and record companies are hand in hand. It's no different than what goes on in anything else in life. Well, those songs that did come through and, you know, bringing up uh, December and The World I Know, I mean, mm-hmm. you all you all became a pop chart band. And I'm, I'm differentiating that because you've always said, you know, Collective Soul is a pop rock band. I mean, you're right. a pop band no in, in that way. Right. But but suddenly you are a pop band. I mean, mm-hmm. that had to escalate everything. It, it did. I don't know what it escalated in, because once again, we all when we went through the lawsuit, we came home and I my dad knew a guy that had a cow farm and i was newly married and we lived in a log cabin on like 250 acre cow farm i literally went out cut wood every morning put in a stove to keep heat like it it, nothing changed on it it actually went worse (laughs) (laughs) other than i could see myself on tv and hear myself on the radio other than that (laughs) i was in dire straits oh man Talk about the contradiction, the juxtaposition going along. Yeah, and it, and it was yeah. hard at the time. We, we, it took years before we could look back because we were so caught up in just like we were, strug- we were struggling more from success than we were before we had success. So this all ends up in a deluxe edition now. There's, uh, I think, six new bonus tracks. Most of these, what, they're live, right? And they're then there's live, one yeah. from the Japanese cut. Tell me about that track. Jesus, I don't even know what it is. What is it, the Y? One track that I remember, we did a Y song. That's why we had Y Part 2, because I'd written a song called Y, and I thought that was... I mean, once again, you go back to that time, we were so big. We had no clue what was going on, other than yeah. just making music and playing. My mom actually brought over our itinerary for that first year in 94, and it shows days off, and it shows recording, like because it was handwritten back then. you got to remember, it's 94. We were doing 25 shows in 23 days, and every day off, it's this day off recording. Like, it's wow. pretty pretty awesome to, I, there's just looking at it exhausting now. Much I don't know how we did it. Well, the song was That's All Right. That's the uh, the Japanese-only cuts. Oh, uh, Elvis. Like, oh, that's All Right. I think that's, oh, shit. See, I forgot we even did that. That's All Right. <laughs> that's All Right, Mom. Yeah. That's All Right. Well, that's going to oh, be on the shit. deluxe edition. I want to hear it. I haven't heard it in 25 years. I want to hear it. So I didn't know the story about why, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to slip in a little bit of Blender here because uh, while the self-titled first self-titled record is 25, Blender actually celebrates 20 years in, in 2000. And, uh, and that was one of the things I was like, I'm sure it's been answered before, but why part two was the big single off Blender. 
and I never but knew I, what Why Part this, One was. I had a I had a demo of a song called Why, and they wanted a, a B side in Japan, mm-hmm. and so I said, "We'll use this." I mean, I had like fifteen songs to choose, like from the demos from the basement. So I said, "Put this on there." It was a little rocker, so I figured it kind of hold up to shine or whatever, being the same band. And so when I was writing Why Part Two, I kept singing, "Tell me why." And uh, my brother Dean goes, "You know, you idiot, you've already written a song called Why." And I was like. Yeah, but nobody's heard it, so I'll just put two on there. <laughs> it's part two. It's, it's nearly like a Traveling Wilburys thing about, you know, volume three without having the volume two. Like, we volume didn't know two, what yeah. volume one or part one was. Right. So. Oh, speaking of Traveling Wilburys, look what I had. I was listening to this morning. We got the, uh, little TP. Yeah, we got the new uh, Wildflowers stuff finally coming out, too. I don't know if you've been hearing any of that. but Yeah, no. You know he was making that as a double album, too. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, and they didn't. They were like. We just signed you a big contract. I don't think we're putting all the money to do it. So I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, that's big stuff. Blender, uh, that was, it. would it be your, your final album with Atlantic? Kind of closed yes. up that chapter right there. And as I said, it turns 20, I believe, in October of this year. Uh, I did, that's one of the ones that I think, you know, I, when I listened to, to prep for this one, I was like, this is probably the one I haven't heard in the longest Mm-hmm. man what a good record and i'm saying i'm admitting that i probably slept on it at the time and i think a lot of people did i think everybody did this seems to be one of the records that collective soul fans like to debate the most whether how they feel about that how, how do you feel about this record i think we rushed it personally if you're gonna ask me I'd, I'd like i'd like like two more weeks on it i think some of the songs in there are great we were we were searching I think it was a searching record. Like, are we going to be rock, pop, whatever, you know, it was one of those, like, cause we weren't getting the attention we thought we deserved from the label. And, you know, at that time, you know, the Counting Crows coming out, Matchbox 20. So we, are we going in that direction or this direction? And I was like, fuck it. We're going to go rock. We were just going to do it. And that's why we did the uh, morphine. The only cover we ever done is morphine. You know? And I thought that would be a cool vibe. Get Atlantic excited, which I think is one of the rockingest songs we've ever done. You speak my language. Mm-hmm. And uh, I presented it to them, and they were just like, just no excitement at all. So that was where we were kind of like, huh, we get it. And I get it. You know, times change, especially at the turn of the century. You know, music change. It, it seems to evolve that way. Like, you know, 2000, all right, here's the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the Britney and all that stuff was coming on, too. But more of the pop rock, which at that point we'd established and actually enjoyed being more of a rock band. And it's funny, they made fun of us that the record label was like, you never put your faces on the album artwork. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to. And they were like, you need to do it. And we do it. And they go, you look like a boy band now. I'm like, Can y'all make your fucking mind up? <laughs> well, that was, I, I mean, you know, there's a few little references that happen around that time because the greatest hits that come after it calling seven year itch. I always right. thought it was very funny kind of speaking to the moment oh. there as I read, you know, what was it? Uh, vent maybe comments on what was going on in the business yeah. at that point you know and and there is a thing a thing called band fatigue a fan fatigue for bands you know and i think that does right. naturally happen and as i was saying maybe i was going through that at the time but the amount of melody that you still pull off on an album that you know you're, you're saying that you, you feel like you rush like when i do hear geez the first five six tracks on its own it's just non-stop hook after hook after hook yeah, and, and that was that was our fault. I mean, once again, they, I agree with you 100%. We should have taken a year or two off just to chill out, you know, because once again, I think you just said we did five albums in six years. 
you know, if you include hints, but that was mm -hmm. five and six. Nobody does. I mean, it, you know, and I got caught up because I write so much that just, I just want to stay busy. I was excited. The adrenaline was kicking in. And so was the guys in the band. Their adrenaline was kicking in. We were excited, you know, mm -hmm. you know, six years prior to that, you know, whoever showed up was just who we were dating at the time. And all of a sudden, here we go. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it was a drug in itself. You know, it really was. We should have, I think that record would have been really, really good had we taken a year off and then come and made that record. Yeah. That makes sense. Sure, sure. But in the meantime, you do have great, I mean, 10 years later is a great song. Uh, I enjoy, I think, the duet with Elton now. That, that's one had. of my highlights. I think, to me, that's, and that's where I talk about the struggling of the pop to the rock. So you mm -hmm. go to that, which I had talked to Elton, and he agreed to do it. And it's funny because, I wrote it as an Elton John, like a rock song, a pop song, like he would. And he was upset because he thought I was going to write a collective rock song. And he came in, he's like, I was going to rock. And I was like, I thought I was going to get to play 1975 with Elton John, you know, PPD over here. His piano solo is pretty fantastic in that, too. He gets that country flavor on it. One take. Not surprised. One take. One take. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was just, I was sat there and I was, uh, got my money's worth, though. It didn't matter. He played on it. And he did totally the vocals killed. in three takes just because he had to memorize the words. He did yeah. the vocals in three takes. It's just, and nothing to it. I mean, that was it. There's no, when you tune people's vocals, auto-tune, auto-tune, none of that bullshit. Yeah. Just nailed it and then said, love, where are we going to go for lunch? I'm like, huh? wherever you want. <laughs> that's, a, that's an album I think that does deserve a little bit of a um, critical I'd like review to get back from in a lot there of people. And like redo some of that. I just, I just some of, there's some, I like, um, God, what's the one? Because I kind of was listening to the old school fix at the time. If I turn turn around, I, mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite songs as a songwriter. I do like that song a lot. Yeah. A lot. Well, you've got nothing but time these days, uh, at least for the rest of this year, it sounds like. So, so why not just uh, along with the 15 a other remix. records that you're doing a right now? <laughs> a remix. Let's do a remix of Blender. <laughs> we'll blend Blender up a little again. More. There it is. Well, Ed, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, again, we got these deluxe, the deluxe edition of uh, 95's Collective Soul and uh, the vinyl edition of Hints as well. Uh, both I'm looking forward to those. And I'm really, I mean, I loved Blood. I really loved Blood. I Thank cannot you, wait man. to hear all of these other records that you've got going on. I'm right telling now. you, vibrating's the same, but I mean, it was supposed to be a double record. So it's, it's not the B-sides. It was part of the record and we're excited for everybody to hear it because we listened to it as a band this week. And we're like, that's probably the strongest record. Like, I just wish it had been a double record, but it's, it's really strong. So thank you as always for your time. You're yeah. awesome. It's always a pleasure, sir. Take care out there. And I hopefully we'll see you soon. See you. All right. right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Now, Ed and I also caught up in 2019 to talk about uh, what at that point was the brand new record, Blood, an album with socially conscious themes. That release lined up with the band's 25th anniversary of uh, Hints, Allegations, and Things Left Unsaid, their debut record. So Ed went on to talk about how the tracks on the album were meant to be demos and yet shot the band to stardom, even landing them on the Woodstock 94 stage. And from there, we talked about uh, 1999's Dosage on its 20th anniversary, which features a pair of classics that ended up on famous soundtracks, Varsity Blues and Twilight. So part two of Kyle Meredith with Collective Soul. Hey Kyle, Ed Rowland here. I gotta give the compliments <laughs> to uh, to the new album, Blood. It's as catchy as ever, man. The fact that you are still cranking out such 
like seriously catchy songs is so impressive uh, at this stage. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. It's very kind. So this record, as the press release, it, it ties it into the 25th anniversary year. And Collective Soul is one of those bands that sort of has like two first year anniversaries, right? It, it's kind of like that. It's uh, kind of the band. But the actual demo, the first record was a demo I made in a basement, songwriter demo. So that, that was kind of 93. So... Uh, you know, it's just numbers, man. <laughs> no, that's true. But it's nice. I mean, if you want to, you can celebrate that, you know, that, that beginning for a whole two years. You get, you know, one year out of two years or something yeah, like that. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a major release. It's the 25th anniversary. It's when we did the major release of uh, the Hints recordings. Yeah. I'll tell you that that record meant so much to me. It was uh, it was one of the life changing records of my youth. Uh, that record, I mean, oh, really cool. did so much and, and in the right in the right direction, right? In the right direction. <laughs> well, I mean, here we are, aren't we? So it's <laughs> yeah, there. You go. There you go. We're still doing it. How about that? How about that? Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit of that here in just a little bit. But but let's start with the new record with with blood because. If it does, if this does line up with the anniversary year, does this record take stock of the past a- at all? A- and if so, how do you do that with still doing something new? I, I don't think it takes stock of the the old because, like I said, hence was a demo I made, a batch of demos I made over a five year period. So it really wasn't a band to me. It was just we thought we were going to get to re-record, and I had some songs, and they were like it became a hit before we even had a major label. So to, to me, it kind of started with the blue record, the second one, the self-titled. So we we kind of dropped everything. And with the new lineup, Jesse and Johnny added to the band. You know, they had their personalities they brought into it. And we just kind of went something kind of new because they brought in a whole new energy for us. And not only they get great players, they're great guys. And, and they kind of, you, you know, you talk about like, I had to up my game a little bit because they're, they're so good. And I think they made me a better songwriter. I think they made us a better band. So It sounds like it because, uh, you know, it sounds like the sessions went so good. As I read, this was actually, you'd considered this being a double album at one point. Well, we did. We, we recorded 20, 22 songs. So we at first, the idea was to do a double album because I grew up, you know, in the, a Beatles fan, Elton John fan. So, you know, you had the White Album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Jeff Comes Alive, the double album's coming up. And to me, it was like, man, we've really done it. We stayed together this long. Let's do a double album. But then management was like, are y'all a bunch of idiots? You know, people don't buy double albums anymore or double CDs. It's streaming now. So we we released the first one first and then the other one will come out next year. I mean, and then maybe we'll put it on a double vinyl for me, just for my own. <laughs> I would love that. Reasons. I mean, that that is a hard trick to pull off. You've talked about Elton John through your entire career, and I, I do have to ask: Are, are you excited about the uh, the movie coming out? I am very excited, very 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 much, because you know that was that that was my musical hero, other than my parents. But in, in pop culture, that was the first one. I remember putting the needle on Elton John's greatest hits, and me going, "I want to do this. I want to write songs." And I, well, I wouldn't mind dressing like that every once in a while either. I have no problem with that. <laughs> I mean, you ended up having him on a record, uh, which, you know, that's that had to be a, a huge yeah. moment for you. Oh, it was, you know, I, it, that was my reward, you know, to have your musical hero come in. Because I can remember having dinner with him. I was like, hey, is there any way you'd want to play on a record with us? And he goes, only if you let me sing, love. And I was like, okay, that's the easiest <laughs> deal I've ever made. <laughs> yes and yes. They ended up on the uh, the Blender record, too. So, well, getting back to, to Blood, you know, we hear now's the time, and and it sounds like a call to arms for this era, and and I feel like maybe that's a theme that threads its way around the songs. Is is that accurate? It, it is, and 
you know, with our culture today, I just feel like, man, everybody's got to chill out. You know, throwing people in the corner is not going to get you anything except a cat coming out scratching at you. And I just think if we can all, and we can all disagree, but we can do it in a civil way. It just feels like every day is somebody yelling at somebody. And it's just like, man, let's back up for a second. <laughs> let's just back it up. And, it, and there's it, other issues to deal with that we, that society will always have to deal with. To me, the opioid crisis right now is just out of control, but nobody wants to deal with that. They're too busy calling each other names when there's innocent people that we could really be helping and taking care of or educating about, you know, this crisis. I, I feel like that's almost an interesting uh, you come from an interesting angle geographically because you know I, I mean I'm in Louisville I'm sort of technically in the South I don't know we we you know that's that's a point of contention around here but but you know you, you are steeped in the South and and I think there is especially with a lot of news about your neighbor in Alabama and everything there, there's just a, sort of a lot of ideas about what the South brings but coming from a rock band you 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 come at this from i guess a different angle i think that has a lot to do with my upbringing i mean i came from a fan i mean my father was a minister so a lot of those teachings preachings you don't have to dig deep into that but i mean it was about love and forgiveness you know and to me that's how you have to live life i mean you know those without sin cast the first stone so and in, in today's society they're just casting stones <laughs> they don't right. give a shit <laughs> I think I'm an old soul, and I mean, I've been told that before. I just, you know, it's peace, love, and happiness, man. So with the second single, then, A Good Place to Start, I, I don't know if that follows suit in there, but there's that first line, you know, a man with a gun who thinks he's the chosen one. And again, it feels like that's speaking to a lot of things that we're seeing in the news right now. Well, I actually wrote it for a Homeboy in North Korea, because when I wrote it, that was when that whole tension was going on there, and I was just subliminally throwing it in there. And also, you know, school shootings and everything like that, and the the Vegas shootings, because I wrote this right after Tom Petty passed. And, you know, during that week, the Las Vegas shootings and then the North Korea tensions and, and then Petty passing, it was just a tough week. Petty comes back around, too. I, I mean, uh, Petty and Wilco, right? Sort of as a touchstones for parts of this record? Yeah, we started, uh, well, Right As Rain started. I had a, another group called Sweet Tea Project, which was more roots-based. You know, we had a banjo and a trumpet, you know, things that my brother and Collective Soul would punch me in the face if I brought into Collective Soul. <laughs> and, and then Jesse and Johnny and Will would line up behind him. But anyway, it, it, um, I had presented it to Sweet Tea because I thought it was kind of in that vein. And they were like, no, this is Collective Soul. And I was like, okay. So when we sat down with the song, they were like, yeah, we hear this. And then we kind of went, what, what do we feel? And we just put on a Wilco record. And I was like, well, I love those guitar tones. Let's just start with that tone there. And then we had a, the day we recorded it, a dear friend of ours, Peter Stroud, who plays uh, Sheryl Crow and Sarah McLaughlin, was in town. And uh, not only a dear friend, but I mean, one of the best guitar players on the planet. So I was like, well, come on over. We'll break bread and we're going to record and you're going to play slide guitar. And that's kind of how it all went. Yeah. It was real easy. I mean, we, we record real quick. We do a song a day. That's, I just feel like at this point, the guys, we catch that moment and, and go. We don't linger on it. It's just, <laughs> let's get it done. That feels right. And let's go. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Peter Stroud. I got to know him in the last year, thanks to Cheryl and her band. And uh, love oh, yeah. to hear these on the record. Yeah, he did it. I mean, it, like I always said, it's, it's kind of great to have not only Peter's talent, but to have him as a friend and have one of your heroes, and they, they play on the record, man. And, and another one, Tommy Shaw's on the record, right? Yeah, 
So we're all over the place on this. Uh, I've known Tommy, oh God, for years because I sang on a solo record of his in 99, 20 years ago. And uh, I'm a big Tommy Shaw fan. And he was kind of inspiring to me back in the day because I really, I, I loved his look. I loved how he sang, how he played. And he was a Mobile, Alabama boy too. So it was kind of an inspiration that you can be from the South and end up on the big stage at some point. So I called and I, I had this song, Porch Swing, and I, I I thought that Tommy's really into the dobro and mandolin. So I thought if I could get him to play a little dobro, I thought the song was a good way to end the record, and the guys did too. And I was like, if, how cool would it be to have one of your heroes? Just the last thing you hear is Tommy Shaw singing. So I called him and I said, it's not. we're not trying to sound like Sticks, and we're not trying to sound like Collective Soul. It's a little different for us. And I sent it to him, he called back, he goes, I've got it. And I'm like, go for it. I don't know, so Peter Stroud, Tommy Shaw, uh, Peter Searcy playing on the record. Of course, we're big fans of him around here. Is there anybody else? Because it sounds like there's a party happening already. There there was. I mean, we kind of have that mentality. Yeah, Christian Bush, who played with Train, Sugarland, he played organ for us. It was just, you know, whoever was home at that time, <laughs> our pals, and they played instruments. We were like, come on over. Once again, we'll go break bread, and then we'll make, make, make some music. Yeah. But that's how it should be to me. I mean, it, it's camaraderie and it's supposed to be fun. And, and if you can have your friends like Peter Searcy and, you know, you get people like that that are just, once again, not only talented, but just good people that you enjoy being around. Why not, man? I mean, it comes back to that title with blood, you know. <laughs> right, correct. And and that's that, that was the whole vibe we were going for. I mean, because literally we set Johnny's drums up. We'd horseshoe around him. We'd put amps in a closet or, or outside. We didn't care, you know, because we recorded it at my house. And then just, once again, it was just more family. It, it was like a family picnic every day we recorded. Uh, I, lo- I love the way it's turned out. I really did. I mean, uh, again, you have such a knack for melody and, and for this pop perfection in songwriting that's uh, completely respectable. So, uh, you know, hats off Thank to that. You. Thank you so much. That's yeah. very kind. I, I do want to hit on a, a few of these anniversaries, you know, kind of real quick. You know, as we talk about that 25th and, and heading back, picking up something you said, and you've said many times, that hints, allegations, things like Left unsaid. What was uh, you know demos? Have you ever have you ever wanted to go back, especially after having time with those songs through the years, and maybe make what you would have called a finished version of those songs? Although I I have trouble saying that because of how close I am with those songs. We actually went back and re-recorded Shine just because I I couldn't take any more hearing a damn drum machine on it. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't. <laughs> it was killing me. And uh, but no, I think once again I go back to what I what I finally settled in on was it wasn't the power of production, it wasn't the power of performance, it was the power of the songs, and and I come at ease with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a band; it was Ed, Mad Professor, in a basement on an eight track machine, just trying to come up with a get a publishing deal. You know, as I've always said, you know, at that time I was thirty years old when we put these put it together. I mean, it wasn't like Atlantic Records was going. Where's that 30-year-old rock star? Yeah. <laughs> Ed. <laughs> and and at the same time it's 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 not only a blessing but a curse because the song was so big, so quick that I think most of our songs did that. It overshadowed that when we did become a band that it, you know, we were catching up to all our songs and bands bands became bigger than their songs. Our our songs are bigger than the band. So, you know, we've we've always had to work through that. I mean, there's festivals we do 
and there's these huge bands and they'll come up and they'll go, God, we didn't know that was you. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> been hearing that my whole life. That's oh, no. okay, though. You played a big festival uh, that year in 94 and talking about Woodstock, which as I look back on it, this, I mean, I don't know, you got tapped on that. You were so new. You were such a new band. And when you think about that you know, lineup of, of, of legends in, in some way, did, did you feel like the little guys on that stage at that point? Oh, yeah. I mean, we really didn't have, I was writing the record because we were so nervous about the hints just because it wasn't a band. So, you know, when we played Woodstock, I think the only song we really knew were Love Lifted Me and, and um, Shine. But we would, I would write songs that sound, and then show it to the guys at Soundcheck and then didn't even have lyrics. I would just do the vowel movement thing. People didn't hear, know, or care. But then that night they were taping it so... I mumbled enough words out of gel that I wrote gel <laughs> lyrically kind of that night. But we, we just kind of approached it in that way. We kind of went, you know what, This let's go with it. It's fun. You, and we had nobody really helping us from the label because we we're so new. Nobody even, I mean, there was nobody from the label there with us. We were just sitting in our room by ourselves while everybody else had, you know, caretakers, A&R people, press. And we were just sitting there by ourselves. And then, like, I remember King's X walked by and we all looked at each other and we're like, should we go say hey? So we started following him around the field. And finally, Doug turned around and go, what do y'all want? <laughs> we were like, we just want to say, hey, we don't know how to do it. We were just naive and, and shy. And, you know, you know, two weeks before that, we're rehearsing in my parents' basement, you know, and then we do Woodstock. And then, they, and then the, two days later, we're with Aerosmith. So wow. a lot happened real quick. That's that's still so funny to think. I hear you have you know one of the biggest stages of of that year and of that era, and and you're writing songs basically you know live in front of this crowd. That's that's balls. Well, you gotta you gotta write them sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Being thirty when the band broke, do you think that gave you different perspective than had it happened earlier for you? Yes. Yes, by far, business-wise, definitely, because I'd, I'd understood the business at that point because, you know, there's so many close calls. And you kind of go, okay, well, what can I learn from this, from, you know, not giving your publishing up to, like, owning your own material, owning your art? And, um, and when we got signed, I did that. I was, I was like, you know, I'll take a chance. I mean, I'm, I'm 30. I already took a chance. So that part of it helped a lot. And I think having the uh, rest of the guys who are, like, 10 years younger than me just kind of follow me a little bit, but yet, you know, they were learning their gig too, if that makes sense. So it was, it was a great, I always call it that first year was like pre-production. Most bands get signed and they get a year to go do pre-production and record. That, that was us doing it in front of a live audience, which I think helped build confidence in, in what we were as musicians. A hell of a year anyway to get started. I know. But I'm like, holy smokes. Dosage is turning 20, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, I think it was a, maybe a February anniversary specifically uh, uh, this year. How do you see that record? You know, as I look back on it, it seemed like, like you know, a, a lot of bands who did get their start in the early and mid-90s, the spotlight had started to move, and maybe that had happened a little bit with Discipline Breakdown, but here it is. I mean, this was this was a huge success of a record. I, I think it surprised people as I go back and read the reviews. It was the first one where we were kind of accepted critically, and that was the beginning of the downfall of Atlantic Records with us because we thought we had made a perfect pop rock, rock pop, whatever you want to call it, record. And it was the first time we really got to spend time in the studio. We were self-indulgent making that record. We took a long time, spent too much money, and, and also experimented with different things from Luke that no rock band had done at that point, really. And I, I look back on it, and I, I, I remember the time making it more than I do the songs. I think we, uh, we stretched it, I think, just the right amount. 
so we didn't lose our core audience. But um, I think it's held up quite nicely, you know. There's really well. a couple of things I've always want to change, but, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'll never forget, we released Heavy, and the label wouldn't do a video. They wanted to see what it'd do at radio. So it went to number one, and I called again, and I was like, can we make a video? And they're like, well, let's just see what it does. <laughs> I'm like, it's number one. What? This is. This went on for 15 weeks, because it was number one for 15 weeks, and finally on the 15th week, I said, I guess we're not making a video. And that's when I kind of knew they, they just kind of were just letting us float through the system. Nobody was cheerleading for us. That's insane, really. I mean, a number one record. I, I remember hearing Heavy for one of the first times, and, and it's sounding just so different, and at that moment, even futuristic, if that's not painting it too hard there. No, no, there was, that, that was kind of where, you know, some of that was where we were going for that record, you know, from the intro to Tremble to No More No Less, you know, with the loops of glass breaking. You were, we were having fun, and like I said, experimenting and just doing, the, doing what we truly wanted to do. We were not afraid to it wasn't like we were, once again, nobody from the label was in the studio. We never had anybody in the studio. I don't think they even knew we were making the record, to be honest with you. So it was that freedom, and, you know, there was nothing right or wrong. Now, you could disagree to put that on there, but it was that freedom we enjoyed. Like I said, it was the first time we got to really record in a proper studio, like, for a length of time. I know you write songs, artists write songs, and they put them out in the world, and you sort of have to let go of them at some point to become whatever they're going to become. Having a song like Run, you know, which is this amazing classic, that still sounds great, it, it's associated for a lot of us with a movie, a Varsity Blues movie, which is a movie very much stuck in an era on top of that. Right. Has that ever, you know, sat with you in any one way or the other, knowing that there is a large group of people who sort of have that association? I do know that. It doesn't bother me at all, because that's what you're supposed to. There, it is time capsule music is. I mean, the first time you hear something, you go, oh, I can remember what I was doing, or how old I was, or what girl I was dating. So that's that's the song that I think people... that surprised us we knew he loved that song but it's the one that it, it once again atlantic released it didn't really push it and but now it's like when we play it live we end the show with that and that's the song everybody waits for which is strange because we play shine like third or fourth in the set and then we play run last <laughs> you would think it'd be the opposite way but that they kind of wait for run and then it's worth mentioning tremble for my beloved it goes on to have a second life once twilight comes out years later yeah that brought in a whole new younger generation and it's funny we didn't have it in the set on this uh this tour and uh jesse our lead guitarist girlfriend who's 30 years old, I guess, said, why are you not playing Tremble? And I was like, ah. but she only knew it because of uh, uh, the soundtrack, which is great. There was another generation that came in and heard Collective Soul and loved what we did. So to, to end the story, we, we put the song back in the set. <laughs> <laughs> Smart move. For Jesse's girl. For Jesse's girl, not Rick Springfield, Jesse's girl, our Jesse's, Jesse's girl. <laughs> it's a very smart move right there. Uh, it's a great song on top of that. So that that helps, by the way, that it's a great song. Yeah, um, thank you. Well, it, it's it's certainly been a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, the, the new record is called Blood. You're going to be on tour this summer. You're going to be a tour with the Jim Blossoms, right? We are, yeah. Love those guys. Great guys. Dude, thank you so much. Congratulations on Blood. It's another triumph, and I really mean that. No, thank you so much. That's so kind. And thank you for your time. Yeah, you too. And uh, and we'll see you out there. All righty, bud. All right, take care. Bye. All right. My thanks, Ed Roland, with Collective Soul 25th Anniversary Edition of the self-titled record, vinyl editions of that one, and uh, hints, allegations, and things left unsaid. 
My thanks to you as well for checking out this episode. Before you get out, again, I hope if you enjoyed yourself, you hit that subscribe button. Uh, you can find us at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with subscribe. We'll bring you three new interviews every single week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. WFPK.org. Org, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Shit, you're going to make me change clothes already? I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org, from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.